morning. Uh, I would say we've got two readings this morning, but one is incredibly brief, so uh, we've got one and a little bit readings this morning. Uh, Firstly, from Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. You shall not murder. And then jumping to Matthew, (laughs) chapter 5, verses 21 to 26. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled with them. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you're still together on the way and your adversary or your adversary may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown in prison. Truly I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. This is the word of the Lord. Well, it is such a thrill to have Cliff here today. It really is. You should have seen him when he rocked up here 26 years ago or however long it was. Um, no, it's, it's, Cliff is a wonderful guy. And it's lovely to see what the Lord's done in his life and how he's serving the Lord now in a really tough context. So Cliff, we want to pray for you. Pray the Lord's blessing on you and that we'd be open to really hearing what the Lord wants to say through you. So, Father, I just thank you. I thank you for your hand on Cliff's life. And I thank you, Father, for the huge compassion he has, especially for those who are marginalized, and especially for prisoners, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that your spirit would anoint Cliff as he preaches to us. And, Lord, may we not just hear, but may we respond to your word. For Jesus' glory. Amen. Amen. Bless you, my friend. Well, good morning. And uh, for me, so that's murder that's all the way over there. Over here, we're going to be at the no murder end. I I quite like, um, I, I, I did actually get a degree at the age of 56, but I don't have a very good sort of long-standing education, academic uh, background, and, uh, which is why I'm well-suited to the prison, perhaps. And, um, and so I like things quite straightforward. So, Jess, that was lovely, that Exodus passage, but it wasn't short enough. The, uh, the message will take it a little bit shorter for us and just says, no murder. So over here we have no murder, over there we have murder. We'll separate them for now, anyway. Like Andy and Fee have said, uh, a little bit more about me really is that um, I did uh, meet Sarah here um, 
and she's uh, ministering in our church, her church, up in uh, Chandler's Ford this morning, which is why she can't uh, be here. Um, I did the Alpha course, sat having, you get food at the Alpha course, I didn't know that when I agreed to do it, and uh, sat over at, at that side of the church, I remember on the Alpha course, I managed to uh, give my life to the Lord uh, back then, and uh, and Sarah made a beeline for me as soon as the course was finished. Um, she was never going to date a non-Christian, so I had, she had to wait to check that I got the pass mark on, on the Alpha course first. And that's my side of the story anyway. Hers may differ. And um, right back then, actually, Andy and Fee have been a massive, um, careful I don't get too choked up about this, a massive um, encouragement to Sarah and I all the way uh, along our journey, really. Um, I can remember cycling up a hill. We used to live in Jersey for a bit. Uh, cycling up a hill, and Andy was going up the hill, and I overtook him. I had a little bit more breath than him at that point. He was puffing and blowing, and he was still able to say, come on, Cliff, you can do it. <laughs> so he still had energy to give me encouragement then. It's the best place to be. You know, you come up these stairs. You've seen the film where Rocky gets to the top and starts going, yeah. feels a little bit like that. Maybe I'll bring it down a bit. Um, and of course, then, who'd have thought I'd end up following Andy's dress sense with wearing the same clothes? <laughs> That's gone too far now, hasn't it? Um, and so let's take a look at some serious stuff, really. When we look at anger, we look at murder, we look at reconciliation when it's all gone wrong, and we look at restorative justice, at whatever that is, we'll cover that more. And then we look at forgiveness, whether it's given or received. Like I say, I like to keep things straightforward. So it's no murder versus murder. I think on the face of it, I've got the easiest job out of all ten. We could almost go home now, stick here, and uh, the job's done. We can sit down. But of course, Jesus has a little bit more to say about it than that. And uh, it wouldn't take the whole morning for us to, to be here if it was just as straightforward as that now, would it? I served 12 years in the army. Um, for some of that time, I was a physical training instructor. Some of the time, I was in Northern Ireland in active service and in the jungle in Belize in Central America in active service too. As you've already heard, I'm a chaplain at Winchester Prison um, for some of my working week and um, come across some pretty broken guys in there. It's a male prison and... Uh, some of them are pretty broken. Some of them will never see the light of day. They will die uh, because their sentence is so long and they'll die in prison. Some of them go in and they go out. They do it again, they come in, they go out. And this has been going on for decades that they just can't break that cycle. Whether society is as much to blame as the guy doing it, well, that's perhaps another debate. I come across a lot of angry people, people that have acted on that anger. Some people have acted really badly on that anger. The prison ends up being a huge melting pot of drugs, anger, violence, mental health, self-harm, and so on. And on top of that, 12% of murders in the, UK, in the UK are committed Deaths in the UK, rather, are committed because of violence. 
So you go to a nightclub. I said this at the earlier service. You go to a nightclub. Not many of the people at that service would actually have been to a nightclub. Not in recent years, anyway. Um, and so uh, you go to a nightclub. You disagree with someone, and it starts a fight, perhaps. You throw a punch. He goes down the stairs, and the guy dies. And now suddenly it's more serious than just a bit of fisticuffs over a spilt drink or something. 12% chance you enter into a fight that someone's going to die. Worth remembering. And as we go back to the bit I talked about the army, if we take a look at war and killing, it might help to give three brief points on how we might deal with that. How us serving soldiers, campaigners, politicians might want to address the situation. First of all, point number one is let's not over-glamorize or over-simplify war. We sometimes, particularly teenagers, will play these shoot-me-up games where bodies fall left, right, and then at center, and that might be for a bit of fun. This is one level on from that, and it is different. You can, you've seen it on the TV, on the BBC News, where they press the button, and somewhere in the Far East, a building blows up. These are real lives, real people, dying at the hands of other real life people. This should not be ignored at any level. We are each made in the image of God. We each have worth, even just as we might use hate language for the other, whoever the other might be. We reduce their worth before God. Genesis 1 27 says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. He didn't create NATO and not the Russians or Ukraine and the Russians or that other person that you don't get on with uh, didn't create, create them but created you. He created us all. We all have worth before God. Secondly, war becomes and should become the last resort. That it's well, well after love has been tried, political answers, negotiations and sanctions and so on have failed. And thirdly then, and only then, should war commence under authority. Under authority so people have transparent at ways of reporting as to what they're doing under a valid government. I think we've still got one of those in the UK just about. But it remains, doesn't it, that it's the love of the other that will bring in the kingdom of God, not war. The love of the other that will bring in the kingdom of God. This and so many other matters around life and death, at the start of life and at the end of life. Abortion and euthanasia, they're complex and emotive issues that we're not going to cover fully here this morning at all. But counsel might be needed if that applies to you. Understanding of scripture is hugely important and having someone, a Christian friend, to come alongside you in those difficult times and to pray as we hand it over to Jesus at the foot of the cross. 
look for that if that uh, applies to you. And certainly come forward for prayer at the end of the service as is always, always offered here. If something that I say stirs something within your heart or you find it's challenging or you've got questions, then do come forward for prayer. No murder. But if anger precedes murder and we're God's image bearers with worth as each one of us is, how might we then deal with it? The Pharisees moved away from no murder in the time of Jesus and danced around here, abusing their their, uh, power, putting law upon top of law, but staying away from murder as if to say, well, we're not murdering, so we're fine because we're keeping to this law and we're just fine. But Jesus has more to say than that. Jesus wants to take them to task on that. And a lot of what Jesus had to say was aimed at those guys, those Pharisees that stood between away from this place and closer towards murder. It may be helpful if we brought this here to know that as soon as we step away from this righteous love and graceful place that we step and bump straight into murderous thoughts and deeds and so on. And we think we're doing okay, perhaps, as we stay away from murder. But are we, what we do and what we say and what we think, is it stepping incrementally closer towards this kind of thing? Or is it leading back towards something more of Jesus? Grace, righteousness and love. Is what we do and say and how we deal with other people leading them closer to Jesus or are we pushing up against the edges of murder, of murderous activity? I find myself daily in the prison dealing with guys in this place here. They've taken the step away from doing things the right way, shall we say. They might not have committed murder, although some have. They might not have committed murder, but they wrestle with what's going on in their mind and in their lives and in the prison and how difficult things can be. And they start pushing this way. And I constantly, sometimes physically, drag them to get them to turn their back on that, turn away from that and turn to him, turn to Jesus Jesus, the giver of life. It needs a 180 turn, not to turn this way, but a 180 degree to turn fully away from that and turn to him. (laughs) And that's easy, isn't it? Of course, this is not always so easy. Sometimes it can be little incremental nudges away from here and we find ourselves behaving in a way that is not uh, honouring our call before God. So I don't pretend that that it's easy. But God calls us to turn our lives and our, our faces to him. To show love for ourselves and love for others. There's one lad that had been doing this cycle of in, out, in, out of prison. Doing drugs, selling drugs, burgling so he's got enough money for drugs. And uh, he'd had enough it seems. And his story starts, his Christian testimony starts with, I was in prison. And somebody gave me a Bible. 
and he's now out. He's uh, got a business in Southampton, and the business is going well. And he takes guys as they come out of prison, gives them a job if he can, keeps them on the straight and narrow if he can. There's a whole mentoring service in place to support them. And uh, he's looking to build his business to free him away from the daily running of the business so he can do more of what he feels called to do before God. It's really exciting to uh, support him in that ministry, in that business that he has. There was another lad, a great big hunking bloke, who was quite aggressive in his approach, in his language, and he'd got a big West Ham tattoo here. Who would have that? A big tattoo, <laughs> a big tattoo here. And, um, and he was troubled. His, it all started a couple of years ago, or a few years ago, when his his very young daughter had died. It was a terrible situation. And he came to chapel on a Sunday morning with his arms folded for his daughter, not for him. And he would stand up as we did and he'd have his arms folded and wouldn't join in the worship. And over time, he would continue to come to chapel. We came alongside him. We introduced him to Jesus. He unfolded his arms and joined in the worship. He gave his life to the Lord and was... Uh, um, baptised in, in the chapel in Winchester Prison. Um, he was released into, uh, into Gloucester. It makes it sound like we're letting some kind of animal out of a cage, doesn't it? He was released into, into uh, Gloucester, and I was able to find a church and able to find a guy at that church who would mentor and support him. And yeah, you guessed it, he was a West Ham supporter. <laughs> who, who knew? But it still remains, doesn't it, that anger is an emotion that we shouldn't ignore. It can be a force for good. Of course, Jesus turning the tables in the temple was to put things right. Righteous anger at that time. It can also be a force for bad, as we find murder so close to us at times. Perhaps it might help if we treated anger like a child in a car, where that child takes control of the steering wheel and decides where you're going to go in life, would be a bad move. But it also would be a bad move if we got that child and stuffed them in the boot out of the way. We would need to let them out at some point, but don't let them drive the car. Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, takes this anger situation one step further. Not only be angry and do not sin, but then he adds, don't let it last. Don't sleep on an argument. Don't let the sun go down on anger. Deal with it. Keep a short account before God and with one another. How might we deal with this anger from a practical point of view? We've looked at all of it so far with regards to Scripture, but what about a practical point of view? Well, first of all, if we can acknowledge it and understand it and identify it when it's happening, when you're alerted and the blood starts pumping and the heart starts beating and the hackles on the back of your neck stand up and your fingers start to tingle and you grit your teeth, you know what it is that when the red mist descends and they're going to get it now, or words to that effect, whether that's verbally or otherwise. 
If we can then, at that point, stop and take a moment, acknowledge that, whoa, I know what's going on here. How am I called to deal with that with righteous love and grace? Take a step away and take a minute. I deal with lots of rage in the prison and I often encourage them, sometimes physically by the scruff of their neck, to take them out of the situation and to just sit, perhaps on the edge of the bed or lean against a wall and just close their eyes and know that God is there. Be still and know that I am Lord. Know that I am God in Psalm 46. Having acknowledged that that's what's going on with us, Take a moment to pause, as I say. Take measured action that can include turning round and walking away. Walking away knowing that Jesus is accompanying you. Perhaps Jesus is carrying you out of that situation. But turn and walk away. And then, of course, the anger needs to be dealt with. Otherwise, we leave it stuffed in the boot and it will come out later to bite us, to show us in some other way. So we then look to try and disperse and let those issues go in some way. For some, it might be enough just to sit and chat with someone, to have it out, to vent, to empty your balloon, as it were. Sarah knows nothing of that from me. I'm not like that at all. Um, and, uh, but for some, it might be just need to put some music on of your taste and to just sit and be. For some, it might mean going on a run. I enjoy cycling and quite enjoy going along the road and leaving all of that stuff on the tarmac behind me. Whatever it is for you, find out what works and apply that at that point, having acknowledged what's going on. Don't leave it stuffed in the boot. Let's assume that we haven't gone through that process and we've got this situation whereby a small or maybe a not so small uh, act of murder has been committed. We've moved away from this righteous grace and love situation towards something less of, less of God. We can't get that toothpaste back in the tube. We can't unsay what we've said. It can't be... Um, we can't wind that clock back to start again. We might find ourselves filled with remorse, with regret, with guilt and shame and other emotions. So what next? The ripple effect of what just happened has been caused. The ripple effect is if someone has been um, attacked, let's say, then going out from that is that they're having to take a day off work, they're having to go to A&E, they're having to deal with their family who's upset for them, they're having to deal with their anxiety, and so on. You can see how that ripple effect can go out from that one relatively small incident, perhaps. So we need to deal with that ripple effect. Some of my time as a volunteer is to be um, both inside the prison and outside is to be a restorative justice uh, practitioner or facilitator, whereby we get the person that's harmed and the person that caused the harm, the person that's normally in prison in my situation, and we get them to communicate with each other, whether that's by letter or by passing messages through us, or ultimately we get them to sit down and face each other and talk it through in a structured, measured, and uh, safe 
um, way we get them to give a voice to their emotions. We get them to perhaps try and understand the trauma that has happened. Each can hear the other's story and have questions answered. Maybe they get a chance to just stop and go, I'm really sorry. It's powerful, powerful stuff when it's done well. We had one guy who, one 18-year-old who'd robbed someone's house. Um, he was in prison with us, and uh, he wanted to go through this process with the person who owned the house, and we managed to arrange to get them together where they could talk all of this stuff through. He said sorry. He probably won't recommit another offence. He properly wants to get it right now. And he was able to say sorry and look her in the eye. She messaged us the next day and thanked us for what we'd done. And she was able to sleep properly that night. The first time in ages, because someone had broken into her house, she was able to sleep properly. This sort of thing makes a significant difference. The Matthew passage uh, calls us to work on this as a priority, especially when coming to worship. It says, so if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled with your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift sets up a pretty ridiculous looking um, scene, if you can imagine, with your animal tucked under your arm, ready to go forward to sacrifice it as you join in the queue here, and you have a moment, oh, can you look after my bird, my animal, whatever, take hold of that, I'll be back in a minute. You rush off and put things right with that other person to come back. Or you come forward for communion here on a Sunday, and you're aware that you need to put something right. It's all right if they're at the hospital, you can nip and see them and get back in time. What if they're in Birmingham? Oh, it's all right, I'll be back for breakfast. So it sets up this ridiculous setting as if to make the point. This is really important to reconcile things with one another. It's part of putting things right. We do something murderous, small or not so small. It undermines the image of God in all of us, and it becomes reduced, diminished when we treat others angrily, hatefully, or cause hurt. We rob others of their identity as children of God. We take away who they are. We take their life, and we murder. Reconciliation with our brother or sister is ahead of worship. That's how important it is. No murder. So we're filled with shame, perhaps disgust um, and uh, guilt about what we did. And you just don't know what you can do with this. Am I really going to be forgiven? It's really tough for some people. There was a guy, and, and as I was walking on, on a landing, a prisoner, and the prison doors are relatively big, and he almost filled the door. And he was leaning against the side of his uh, door and looked at me as I walked past and uh, asked me who I was and what I was doing there or words to that effect. And, um, and, uh, and he said, so what I did 
can I be forgiven? It, I felt like it was almost he'd gone to a 10-year-old and was looking up to like a parent figure. Can I be forgiven for this? I don't know what he was there for. I do, that, I do know that there's a forgiving God that can forgive him what, for whatever he has done. And there then followed a lovely conversation with this huge bloke. Never mind what he'd done. He can't walk out of prison being forgiven. The judge and jury are not going to change their mind just because of what I say and what Jesus thinks of him. He still will have to face the consequences of his action. But the ultimate judge will forgive him. He takes that 180 degree turn away from that and towards him, towards righteousness, love and grace. He says sorry and he looks to put things right, reconcile things as much as he is able and deals with that ripple effect and his life is changed. We had a lad that was um, in his early 20s. He spent first 10 years of his life in Nepal uh, being brought up as a Buddhist. He came to England and went to a Catholic school and was, like say, in his early 20s, he'd got his degree and he was going on with this business uh, that was going quite well for him. He got very drunk or something one night, maybe someone spiked his drink and he did something that he needed to come to prison for. He was in a real mess. It was a massive surprise to him that he ended up in prison. And uh, so we couldn't talk like this on the wing, him and I. So I brought him to the chapel. And as he came into the chapel, we have, it's probably 10 foot tall, Jesus, a bronzed Jesus, as in made out of bronze, uh, on the cross, right front and center in in the church as as you go in. And he, he walks in through the door. I'm in front of him. He walks in behind me. And I heard this wailing as I looked round. He was on all fours absolutely crushed and sobbing his heart out before Jesus, wondering if he could ever be forgiven. Another beautiful conversation that then goes on with him. He was able to stand up and wipe his nose and his eyes a bit and managed to find a way of coping in there. Like I say, forgiveness doesn't mean that these circumstances go away. It doesn't mean that you can wipe your mind or just forget it. Forgiveness is different to forgetting. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Often therapy alongside that forgiveness might be needed in some situations. But it does mean, centrally to it all, that you can be reconciled with God. We at Chaplaincy look to bring a message of hope for those who think that they've fallen too far for grace to come anywhere near grabbing them. It might help that if people knew that around about a third of the Bible, it said, was written by murderers, by Moses, by David and by Paul. That's quite a big statistic when you're wondering whether your sin looks bigger than the grace that God can bring. Let us let this forgiveness and grace fill our lives. Let us be changed because of Jesus. You may have had a situation where somebody driving 
cuts you up and pulls out in the front of you, and you wonder how the front of your car is still there, but they actually just managed to miss it. We all know what type of car that was, don't we? <clears throat> Without the indicators and all that kind of thing. I've been cut up plenty of time on my push bike as well. But they cut across the front of you, and they go on their merry way. They're completely oblivious to what just happened. And you're absolutely raging. How could they do that? How, do you think they've passed their test? What, what are they in a rush for? And so it goes on. Or maybe it's just me. Um, and, and you go for lunch with your friend, and your friend's wondering why you're a bit snappy. You can't eat your lunch because you're eaten by this kind of stuff. And all of this pain that you feel, and all of that poison that you take, you expect it to affect that other person. He's completely oblivious. He's on his merry little way. He didn't even know that he nearly trashed your posh car. We take this pain and we take this poison, expecting the other person to suffer. How about we bring forgiveness back a little bit closer to the steering wheel, a little bit closer to us and get over it sooner? Easy for me to say, but driving's a good place to perhaps practice that. To forgive is to set the prisoner free, isn't it? To forgive is to set the prisoner free. But sometimes you might realize that you're the prisoner that's being set free as you forgive them. So as I come to close, we've got uh, 2,000 years ago, God gave his son to be murdered so that we might have life. That death allows us to be transformed from those who hate, whose desire is to take life, to those who are loving peacemakers and who want to give life. We're to be witness to a different way of living, filled with the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, as it says in Galatians 5. As the Spirit fills us with those, there's no room for murder. No murder is only straightforward and simple, so long as you expand that to include the teaching of Jesus around it. It's not just about actual death that is not as far away as we might first thought. We are God's image bearers. This includes the other person, whoever that might be. Having stepped some way towards murder, we have a way back through the cross of Christ as we turn to him. Repent, we say sorry, we receive his forgiveness. And please do, where possible, look for reconciliation to put some of the upset back in order. Set the record straight, reduce those ripples that I talked about. It changes lives, it changes culture, and it changes society. One small act, one small conversation, meeting at a time. How amazing that Jesus loves us through to the core of our being. He wants the best for each one of us. This and other commandments are set in the context of love, which rules our hearts, sets our path straight, and determines our response. Our response, love 
first. Love first. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that you first loved us. And whilst we often mess up, we ask for a reminder of your love for us. To find it easier to walk away from those murderous thoughts, words and actions towards something more of you in our lives. Amen. Can I ask you just to stay there just for one moment? Um, can we give Cliff a big clap, please, just to kind of... Um, I, I love the fact that um, the Lord wires us all in unique ways. And as you've heard Cliff speak, you can see why the Lord could see many years before Cliff came to Christ that he would be a brilliant prison chaplain, can't you? Just so well suited for that. And um, Cliff is, yeah, Finn and I have rejoiced to see how, how that's come about. Now, if like me, you've probably got lots of questions you'd love to ask Cliff. So do grab a moment afterwards. Do take the opportunity to, you know, ask Cliff about a, a few things. Cliff, I, I want to ask you one thing now. How do you cope with the anger that is directed towards you in your role? What do you do with it yourself? Um, firstly, um, I look, make sure I know where the exits are. So, and, and you know, I, I've done a lot of uh, sort of combat type sports with judo, boxing and rugby and so on. So I can kind of guess some of those things coming. Um, and make sure that it is part of the training that you do as when you're working in the prison to make sure you stand the side of the door compared to the person that you're talking to. So those kind of practicalities are there. Another practicality is I always wear my dog collar and it's like, whoa, never attack the chaplain and all of that kind of thing. So it's never happened, fortunately. And another thing is that love first. Absolutely, they know that I'm there for them and to encourage them in a way to walk with Jesus, which often gives me permission to speak right into the dirty, horrible situation that they find themselves in and to be heard and for God to speak in that situation. I can sometimes be glazing over as I look at them and asking, what, God, what do I need to say to this guy? Yeah. I've, I've been there once in a cell with a guy and I... Uh, he was ranting, rah, 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 rah. And the, an officer appeared over my shoulder and goes, uh, are you all right, Cliff? So the, the staff do keep an, an eye on me. And we'd finished talking, and I walked away, and I just I felt God check me in, my, uh, in, in myself there and just to go back. And I went back and put my finger in his face and was a bit direct and said, look, there are other ways that you can deal with this, you know. This doesn't have to be this way. The guy fell back on his seat and just was moved by, it wasn't me, it was God doing that at that moment. And just to be open to that kind of thing is, yeah, a square peg in a square hole. Thank you. Well, um, just as you've had a chance to hear Cliff today, can I encourage you, just kind of remember Cliff's face and be praying for him. It's an amazing ministry. And it's, I, I've been able to contact Cliff on a few occasions with um, people connected with SML and Cliff has been brilliant with them 
in the prison. So we praise the Lord for your ministry, Cliff. We will pray for you. Fee and I pray for you every Monday. I'm sure others now that they see you, have seen you and heard you will pray for you as well. So bless you and thank you. Let's give Cliff a, a clap again. Bless you.